Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I didn't quite go to Infinity and Beyond this weekend, unfortunately. <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardawar. You know what, guys? I, I'd happily be stuck in a time paradox with you guys. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. I'm Jeff Kanata, and this week, in honor of the movie, I'm going to do the entire episode buzzed. Wow. Uh, You're going to be 20 minutes ahead of us, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show, everyone. Those are, of course, vague references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Pixar's Lightyear, the first Pixar theatrical release in over two years. Uh, So looking forward to talking about that with you guys. Uh, It's it's a spinoff movie. It it is actually not about Buzz Lightyear, the uh, character from the Toy Story movies, by the way. Uh Very uh easy mistake. It's actually based off of the real life guy that that character was based off of. That's not accurate. That's not not even true. Not <laughs> that's even. not guys, accurate. Are you guys the sure? movie clearly tells you what's up. Yeah, that's are you guys what sure I like you. I had yeah. heard that the whole time yes. leading yes. up to this movie, and then the title card at the beginning of the movie spells it out so yeah. clearly the, and for the cleanly. first two things on frames. Like, listen up, you idiots! This like, is the what? movie Andy liked. That's all it is. <laughs> why? Why is it so hard to, to express this when it, well, the movie does it in a sentence in a mm-hmm. title card at they, the beginning? Apparently, like it's their fault. Like, I think the publicity around this was very confusing. But so we can get to yes. that. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we'll we will. Oh, we will for sure dive into it. But. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Use the hashtag slash tag to recommend stuff for us to watch. And go to patreon.com slash filmpodcast to recommend stuff. I'm sorry, to support this podcast, I should say, uh, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Uh, the last couple months, we've been reviewing a ton of interesting stuff like Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, Jurassic Park. And we also do mailbag episodes where we talk about stuff that people send in to patreon.com slash film podcast, comment on our posts. Of course, you can always email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. But there was a mailbag question I wanted to address on the main show this Ooh, week. A breakthrough mailbag question. Yes, this is from patreon.com slash film podcast. And it comes in from Jonathan A., who writes in the following question. Quote, Dave, I just watched Jurassic World Dominion, and it left me with a single question that I am not only dying to know what you think, but which I also know you will no doubt have some opinion about. And that is the lack of a colon in the title Jurassic World Dominion. Please spend at least one minute discussing this lack of punctuation and how it is perhaps the greatest continuity error in the entire Jurassic Park franchise. Uh, Yes. (laughs) This is gold. Well, Jonathan A., Prepare yourself. You're not going to get one minute. You're going to get between five and 15 minutes coming up right now. Okay? So, Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, Now, Jonathan is correct that it does not have a colon in the title. Not only that, but Universal and their publicists went to great pains to make sure that no reviewers put a colon in Jurassic World Dominion. Like, we actually got a notice from our publicist saying, hey, just a reminder, like... Jurassic World Dominion, there's no colon in Maybe. the title. And at the top of Google, it, it's there's a colon if you yeah, search yeah. Jurassic World. Yeah. Which is, and, it's yeah. weird because the entire movie was pulled from a colon. <laughs> you just didn't want to remind you of that, you know? It's in a very painful extraction process. But uh, so, and I got that email from my publicist, and then I saw other reviewers around the internet commenting, oh, they really want to make sure you know there's no colon in there. Uh, which is just really weird. Uh, really Incredibly weird that they, they. So 
uh, my suspicion, which I have uh-huh. no proof for, is that it's something that was important to the filmmaker slash filmmakers, right? Like uh, they usually wouldn't say something like yeah, that yeah, unless yeah. Th- this was, movie doesn't need to make sense. But you, you assholes, better not put a colon. <laughs> it's okay. actually That's all suppo- I care about. Yeah, it's supposed yeah. to be pronounced Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> World. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me let me start by talking about what a mess these Jurassic Park movies have made of the punctuation. I, I, I don't know if you guys know this. I used to be a uh-huh. bit of a grammar nut back when I was in uh, high school. Same. And, and uh, the Jurassic Park titles have been a complete catastrophe when it comes to punctuation. Here, here are the titles and punctuation of the Jurassic Park movies, okay? Jurassic Park. That's it. Nope. Just perfect. Perfect. No, <laughs> notes. no perfect. notes. No notes. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> okay. The Lost World colon Jurassic Park. Confusing. Extremely I don't, I don't confusing. Know. I don't know what's confu- up with that. Why would yeah. you not make it Jurassic Park colon The Lost mm-hmm. World? Mm-hmm. I don't understand why Spielberg I, did that. Yeah. I I actually think that's kind of beautiful. And I, I wonder if there's ever been <laughs> in the history of films a sequel where the post colon mm-hmm. is the title of the first movie. Yeah. Has that ever happened before? It's not, it's, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, I guess, I guess that happens with all the star Wars movies, right? Empire strikes back colon a star war uh-huh. <laughs> or uh, solo, a star Wars story. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's, that's a thing that's happened. Um, but yeah, it's, it's rare. It's rare. Uh, of course, the original Crichton novel on which it was based is just simply the lost world. Yeah. Maybe, that's confusing because there there was the uh, there there's another Lost World novel, right? So, mm. It's a whole thing. I I don't know. I think most people know of it as the Crichton one these days. But freaking the freaking creator of Sherlock Holmes made the Lost World book, so it's uh, mm. it's confusing. Mm. Yeah. So my guess is, like to me, Jurassic I'm, again. I have no knowledge of any. I'm just complete wild speculation. But to me, the Lost World colon Jurassic Park <laughs> screams of some kind of studio interference slash compromise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where maybe Spielberg was like, it should just be the lost world. Yes. And you know, universal marketing folks were like, look, we can't sell a lot. We need to fit Jurassic park into that title somewhere. And he's like, how many well, other movies have giant dinosaurs? In? You know, it's just <laughs> us. They know it's a Jurassic yeah, park. I think movie. the logo is going to give it away. Yes. Maybe, but, <laughs> but you know what? Actually, this goes back to the uh, the uh, original question here, which is the problem with the Lost World colon Jurassic Park mm-hmm. is the tyranny of the colon mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the only acceptable punctuation in a movie title for some reason. It should be the Lost World parentheses Jurassic Park, <laughs> right? That's what they're express. That's what they're mm. really expressing is like. Parentheses. No, I, I, well, you you are arguing that there's any kind of artistic expression going on there. What I'm arguing is that the Jurassic Park in there is purely a marketing tactic, right? Maybe, yeah, but maybe what they're expressing maybe it's a Michael is Crichton, Michael Crichton argument because I think he was still with us back then. Like uh-huh. he was like, "This I want this to be titled The Lost World." And they're like, "Look, compromise The Lost World: colon, Jurassic Park." But what right? I'm what I'm saying is what what they're expressing from a marketing perspective is. P.S. This is a Jurassic Park movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, Which is I think this, parentheses. Yeah, this, yes, this goes no. to show that we are limited in the characters we can be using in titles. I feel like that could call for a carrot. You know, <laughs> the Lost World <laughs> carrot little superscript Jurassic Park. Then, 
then you got everybody's looking up above the title uh-huh. to try to see what it's pointing at. They got uh-huh. problems there. Yeah, I, I think you guys. Uh, that's right. I think you're right. Both of you are right. You're you're both making awesome points. Let me just say, okay. And I think you're right, Jeff. That it's basically like, yeah, it is parentheses. Like, hey, don't don't forget us, Jurassic yeah. Park. Right. Don't forget or, it's part of Jurassic or Park. The Lost World <laughs> asterisk, and then much lower on the on yeah. the poster. But Jurassic Park. Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so we move on to 2001. Jurassic Park, th- uh, Jurassic Park three, but not Very... the number three. Not the number three. It's uh, uh, Roman uh, numeral three. Roman right? numeral like, three. Uh, Confusing. So online, it, it is listed as Jurassic Park numeral three, but mm-hmm. in the poster, it's Jurassic Park Roman numeral three yes. because it's like the three like Velociraptor or T Rex <laughs> slashes, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I understand why uh, they didn't want to make the Lost World based off of. Like, they didn't want to say Jurassic Park 2 because there was a whole book it was based off of, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, The Lost World is a more elegant title than Jurassic Park 2, right? Um, and so, but for Jurassic Park 3, they're just like, you know what? Let's keep it simple. Let's keep it simple. Uh, bring it back to what, it, you know, the, the B-movie roots. Jurassic Park, Roman numeral 3. All right, fine. Uh, very respectable three-movie arc of punctuation and grammar. <laughs> Um, then you get to Jurassic World, which again could have been Jurassic World yeah, colon Jurassic yeah. Park, but whatever. I'm glad. Well, I'm glad. Jurassic I mean, World fairly elegant. Fairly something, elegant. yeah, something to be thankful for there that it wasn't that. It kind yes. of slips the table, so it's like uh, no rules. There are no more rules in our <laughs> titles at this point. We're starting from scratch. We're starting from scratch. Then Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom uh-huh. in 2018. Sorry, Jurassic World colon crucially Fallen colon. Kingdom in 2018. Right. Now, here is the thing about the colon. Now, Jeff, you, you, you brought up a good point that the, the function of the colon in, Jurassic, in the Lost World Jurassic Park is to make it like, so Jurassic Park is kind of the afterthought or like, hey, here's something we're trying to evoke. But I think Jurassic World colon Fallen Kingdom is, hey, this movie is about the Fallen Kingdom. It's a Jurassic World type story, yeah. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Now, if they had, conti- in a hypothetical universe where this is more cohesive, and it was Jurassic World colon Dominion, right? It would be, uh, the uh, Dominion would be like, hey, this is a movie called Dominion, but it's a Jurassic World story. Yeah. Right? But instead, by removing the colon, uh, Jurassic World becomes an adjective and Dominion becomes a noun, grammatically speaking, right? So it's like, it is, what ty- what kind of Dominion? A Jurassic, a Jurassic World, World Dominion. Dominion. Right. Not, as opposed to before, where it's like Dominion, a Jurassic World story. Right. It's now Jurassic World is describing the term Dominion. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, Which actually makes sense. If if you're if you're thinking that the movie is about a, a world of Jurassic era characters having Dominion, yeah. then you could say, yeah, it's a Dominion, a Jurassic World style Dominion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to think like what is the difference? Like when you hear the term Jurassic World colon Dominion, how is that different? What different emotions a, does that evoke slash connote? It, it kind instead of instead of Jurassic meaning, World Dominion. You know, like uh-huh, what, what is uh-huh. the, <laughs> Jurassic World Dominion well, versus Jurassic World Dominion? What, what do I you think, think? Yeah, go ahead. I think the the removal of the colon is a fool's errand because. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We know if it had existed in a vacuum, if mm-hmm. if the sequel to the third Jurassic Park movie was called Jurassic World Dominion, that's something different. 
but we've had two other Jurassic World movies. And so this is just, just because we're familiar with it, we know it is the third of the Jurassic World movies. Mm -hmm. And this one, the distinguishing moniker is Dominion. So we do all the work for the colon on our own because of the baggage we bring into the title. There's no, it's impossible to remove the colon and actually achieve what the filmmaker seems to want, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I I think removing the colon maybe makes it feel, I'm trying to think like, what is the net impact of removing the colon, right? And I I feel like maybe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jurassic World Dominion, no colon, does feel like a more cohesive title, right? By by itself, if you said, hey, there's a movie called Jurassic World Dominion, I'd be like, ooh, that's a cool title. That's a cool title. The better title, Dave, the better title is Jurassic Dominion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because right? Jurassic World at this point is like a long afterthought. Like the yeah, actual no physical world. park itself is long gone by this. I point. mean, I always thought the the trajectory of these movies was mm-hmm. to recontextualize Jurassic World. Right? Mm-hmm. Jurassic World is like Disney World in the first, but then we learn that mm-hmm. it's actually a the entire Earth is now Jurassic yeah. again. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, if, if they actually followed up with the uh, the actual setup from the second movie, they, right. it should have just been Jurassic Earth, and that's it. Yeah, uh, I think you guys you guys have something there, and I think mm-hmm. that you're right. It, it could have been, but again, it's like, dude, these movies, especially these last three, are nothing if not huge vehicles for making tons of money for Universal. Sure. And so that's all they so are. So at the yeah. very least, they're like, we're we're not getting rid of the world world uh, the world from that. Type <laughs> we're not getting rid of the world. The word world. We need the world's money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need the world's money, but. <laughs> I, yeah, Jurassic World mm-hmm. Dominion. It's like Jurassic World Dominion. That's like a cool title. But if you if you use Jurassic World colon Dominion, it feels like oh, it's just another chapter in the Jurassic World story. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I think it would have been better if 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 the functional part of of the word Jurassic worked like the the, the functional part of born in the born movies, mm-hmm. right? Do you, mm, you yes. take Jurassic yes. Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, Jurassic Dominion, Jurassic uh, uh, Ultimatum? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jurassic Fallen Kingdom. Movie. I don't know. I would watch uh, Raptors doing parkour stuff, which is kind of what they were doing in uh, in Dominion, actually. So, yeah, <laughs> give me that movie. Raptors. I mean, there is that sequence that is basically yeah. the yes. born, a yeah. born yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I agree with you. A lot of missed opportunities there. And uh, the net result, the final result of all this is that the titles and their colonizing and grammar are very confusing and inconsistent throughout. And it's very yeah. unfortunate. You did, it, at the, it's yeah, clumsy and they, bad. They missed an opportunity to make it consistent by saying Jurassic World colon Dominion. Because then at least you'd have Jurassic World, Jurassic World colon Fallen Kingdom, and then Jurassic World colon Dominion. Now my DVD shelf of these DVDs I'm never going to buy is going to be really inconsistent when you look at it. You know what I'm saying? Which is yeah. the biggest crime. The biggest crime. I would submit, not to keep returning to this topic, but oh, I would yeah, submit no, I mean, that this the, is the uh, most important topic on the podcast. The the Born <laughs> franchise might have the best sequelization mm. title. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. hold on. Let's so let's take a quick break. We'll be right back and then we'll talk more about this. Brace yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for our sponsor, Manscaped. All men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, 
There is a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He is a big, hairless, winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees... Platinum? That's right, Manscaped TM would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped TM is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped TM by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code FILMCAST. Manscaped TM's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. They designed this package to allow you to fully align your entire hygiene routine with elite Products inside the Platinum Package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker, Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Ultra Premium TM Body Wash, Ultra Premium TM 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner, Ultra Premium TM Deodorant, Crop Preserver Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Ball Spray Toner, Anti-Chafing Boxers, and the Shed Travel Bag to hold your goods while traveling, the Lawnmower TM 4.0 Body Trimmer and Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer feature proprietary advanced skin-safe TM technology to protect your delicate parts and holes holes both are waterproof so you can shave with less mess in addition to shaving you can now completely upgrade your shower routine with the ultra premium tm body wash and ultra premium tm two-in-one shampoo and conditioner you'll have your skin and hair feeling hydrated and smelling fresh don't forget to apply the aluminum free ultra premium tm deodorant for cologne quality scent on the go thankfully their crop preserver tm ball deodorant and crop reviver tm ball toner can solve this problem for you once they touch your sack you'll never go back manscaped tm even threw in two free gifts to their platinum package 4.0 the manscaped tm boxers and the shed travel bag bring your comfort and boxers to another level the platinum package 4.0 covers all bases from head to toe the best bang for your shebang get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code filmcast at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with the free shipping at manscaped.com and use code filmcast it's time you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum a package. Uh, Jeff, you submitted that the Bourne franchise has one of the best sequel titlings. I, I will agree with you, except uh, until the fourth film, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the, non, the, fi- the, the non- fifth film. The fifth film, I should say. Well, even the fourth than- film. Even the fourth film. Yeah. Okay, th- let's go over them. Let's go over yeah. them. Okay, so yeah. J- yeah. <laughs> there was the Bourne Identity, uh-huh. the Bourne Supremacy, Good. Uh, the Bourne Ultimatum. Mm, fin- and finality, say, finality with that name. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just gonna say the titles have almost nothing to do with the actual plots. So, like, <laughs> on that on that regard, they fail, right? They they just borrowed the titles from the books, but the you know the titles are completely meaningless compared to the the plot of the the, the films. Well, that's the that is the only I would say the only flaw in my my argument <laughs> is that if you say oh oh I love the Born Supremacy, you go which one was that one? <laughs> right, and then you have the Born Legacy. Mm-hmm. Which came out in 2012 with uh, Jeremy Renner. No, no, that's no Jason Bourne at all. Does, that's doesn't a great, exist. But that's a great title for that. That's it's like, yes. hey, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah th- this movie is is in in the legacy of the, it's in the tradition yes. of the Bourne movies. That's yes. perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but like then you have born uh, 2016's <laughs> Jason Bourne, Jeff. So are you, are you still hey, feeling that one could it's have been good? called the the Bourne again? The, the Bourne again, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would have been better. But do you, uh-huh. I, I assume your your sort of logic ends there, right? You're not supporting Jason Bourne as a great movie uh, or title, movie title. Well, that, the one that was called just Jason Bourne. Defend Jason Bourne as a no, movie no, title. it's it's terrible. It abandons the entire uh, okay, so concept. No, okay, and it, so yeah, it defends the whole movie it, too. So, it ends yeah. it ends at that. Point. But you're saying the first three to four Jason Bourne movies had good titles. Yeah, and then they fucked it up. As they <laughs> I see. Yes. Okay. Oh, is there a better? I mean, is there a better sequel franchise titling? I would say probably Harry the Potter ones that maybe? come to mind as the most consistent is probably Police Academy movies, right? <laughs> I know, I don't know about. Think that. about it. Think about I this. I'm going to read to you the Police Academy. Title. Okay, Police Academy. All right, that's 1984's Police Academy. Police Academy Two: Colon Their First Assignment. Police Academy Three colon back in training and so on and so forth up to police <laughs> they, they messed it up when they got to 1994's police academy colon mission to moscow they didn't put police yeah. academy 7 colon mission to moscow but other than that that's a fairly consistent franchise titling this you is know? certainly an idea i i'm surprised you can go straight to mission impossible post uh, mission impossible 3 because like those titles they mean something ghost protocol Oh yeah, Rogue well the, the titles are good, but I yeah. w- the reason I didn't mention it, yeah. Devendra, is because they don't have numbers in them. Like I'm I'm a, I'm of mm-hmm, the mind mm-hmm. you choose numbers and stick with the numbers, or you don't have numbers at all, right? And it feels like a lot of these movies they're like, oh, we should do numbers. Oh, we shouldn't do numbers. There's all the we should do yeah. titles. We shouldn't do titles. There's all this <laughs> waffling, all this waffling around. Like here's an example: John uh-huh, Wick, uh-huh. John Wick Chapter Two. I'm like, oh, badass! You're gonna make them chapters. John Wick Chapter Three Parabellum. Oh, oh, oh! The chapters weren't enough. The chapters weren't <laughs> enough right. for you. Chapters yeah. are you never enough. Subtitle? It's, a, it's such a bummer. Yeah, I, I, I don't agree think with you that. guys are ready for next year when we have to review Mission Colon Impossible Dash Dead Reckoning Part One. <laughs> <laughs> that's the full title. Yeah, that's rough. That is rough. Yeah. And the part one should be in parentheses. So yeah. And yeah. I, I would say even the, the Harry Potter movies were pretty good. Harry Potter and the, and the, and the. And then uh-huh, we uh-huh. screw that one up right at the end, too. Because we go uh, with the part one and the part two. Yeah. Well, that's because they wanted to split those movies into two parts. Uh, you know? Yes. But we've, <laughs> we've established a pattern, and now we have to add garbage at the end of it. Indeed. Indeed. Well, anyway. very Sequels. F- I, I can't think of any sequel that has had, like, any sequel series that's had, like, consistent number for more than two films right that's a mm-hmm. consistent yeah. numbering or titling all the way through. well that's the problem is that you do the second film most of the time you do the second film without thinking about there's going to be more of these it's like hey we're coming back you know yeah yeah and then and it's it- like oh oh crap we've, <laughs> we've titled ourselves into a corner <laughs> well anyway thank you to jonathan a for that question which he submitted at patreon.com slash film podcast where we talk about questions as important as that one uh all the time yeah. on the, the average we questions. settled them that that issue is settled now right <laughs> you're welcome yeah. audience yep. you're, you're welcome you're, you're welcome. welcome america okay let's get into what we've been watching folks what have we been watching this week? I wanted to talk about Baz Luhrmann's newest film Elvis which is going to be out in theaters this weekend I had a chance to see an early screening of it. Uh, we are not going to be doing it as a main review, which is why I'm talking about it this week. Uh, and this movie is interesting because on the one hand, 
Baz Luhrmann is an incredible filmmaker and he has so much style in his movies. Uh, no one mm-hmm. else is making movies that look and feel yeah. like what he, this guy He throws everything like. in every scene and between all those crazy edits, yes. One of my collaborators, Scott Mendelson, called this a two-hour and 40-minute long trailer, uh, which is in some ways what it feels like. You, for much of this film's runtime, uh, of Elvis's runtime, you feel like you're watching a trailer where it's like... In a good way? F- just in the sense of like all the stuff you would use in trailers, like quick cuts, flashbacks, titles on screen that move and animate all this stuff. Like it's, it, it's all in this movie for much of its run, you know, extended cross dissolve, split screen, like every single filmmaking technique you can think of is used in this film. And the, it, it's kind of relentless for this first like hour, hour and a half or so. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just that for the entire first hour and hour and a half. And, um, I think uh, the guy who plays Elvis, um, Austin Butler, does a pretty good job. P- pretty cool of him to choose an actor that I-, I don't think that many people know. Do you guys know who Austin Butler is? You found no. it? You, you no. Know who Austin- yeah. So, like, I think he specifically wanted to choose an actor that wasn't well known uh, because he wanted you to kind of have. Uh, a way to approach this character in a way that was like fresh, you know, like as an audience, you're looking at this person, you're like watching a star being born and you feel like you might actually be watching a star being born in real life because most people don't know who Austin Butler is. Um, He evidently did all his own singing, right? He sounds like Elvis in the, in the songs. It does a great job. does a great job. Um, Okay. So that's some of the great stuff. That's about Elvis, the movie. Uh, What's bad about Elvis? Literally everything else. Uh, The movie is, a paint-by-numbers musical biopic, which I really don't like musical biopics. Like, I, I really don't like them, and we we don't review them very often on the podcast. And there's a reason why, is because they are... Very few movies, other than, let's say, romantic comedies, have as formulaic a construction as musical biopics. Um, and in a post-walk-hard world, I don't feel like musical biopics fulfill any real meaningful function. Um, and I just, I just find them to be very artistically uninteresting. And unfortunately, Elvis falls into that trap. It is awash in musical biopic cliches, starting with Dewey Cox needs to think about his entire life before he plays. (laughs) And literally at the beginning of this movie, there's a character who needs to think about his entire life. And it's like, why, why, (laughs) what'd you say? Is it Elvis? It's actually not Elvis. It's actually not Elvis. <laughs> it is uh, uh-huh. his manager, who's played by Tom Hanks, uh, and who is just, he's acting under massive piles of makeup and in a, in a fat suit, and he has this really thick accent, and it's kind of outrageous. And in any other movie, it would be completely laughable and, not, and would not work. But because this entire film is so over the top, it kind of works. But... Yeah, the plot of the movie is really boring and rote. And I think, unfortunately, we don't really learn that much about Elvis himself. We don't really learn about what drove this character. I don't think the movie really has that many insights about Elvis. So, ultimately, I found the movie disappointing. If the movie was one hour shorter, I would actually feel okay recommending it. To How people. long like, is this movie? It's two hours and 40 minutes long. Oof. 
So if it was one hour shorter, I would say, hey, go check it out. Like Baz Luhrmann, all this style, like is no one's making a movie like Baz Luhrmann. Mm-hmm. But it's two hours and 40 minutes of really conventional musical biopics, plotting mm-hmm. and structure. That's a shame. The and musical fact- numbers are great. The musical mm-hmm. numbers are great. And they're well shot and they're interestingly edited and they're well performed. Um, so if you want to see a bunch of Elvis musical numbers, I think you'll you'll enjoy this. But mm-hmm. the movie around them is really boring. If you, you if you want to get your fix of like Baz Luhrmann's style and his kineticism, because I don't think I don't think anybody really makes movies the way he does. No, uh, I talked about the Get Down on Netflix when it came out, and that show is just a wild ride about like the rise of early hip hop and DJs in New York, and it is not the thing you expect Baz Luhrmann to really do well. But I think it's actually pretty well done. Um, and just the kineticism of like the opening 10 minutes is something everybody should check out. So, you know, yeah. watch and that the, instead. I think there's a lot of that DNA in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, a lot of commentary in this movie about how uh, Elvis Presley uh, was uh, taking styles or reappropriating or reimagining styles uh, and and uh, music that he learned from the black community. And, uh, you know, all, that that's in the movie. I don't think it's meaningfully commented upon in any way. Um, but it, I did get a little get down sort of tingle when I watched this movie, Devendra, because uh, I felt like, oh, that's pr- probably very similar to what was done in, in Elvis. So anyway, sorry to say, was not a huge fan of Elvis, uh, the movie, not the guy. Guy is uh, really talented and obviously has made an indelible impression on our pop culture. So uh, that's Elvis. It's going to be out in theaters this weekend. If you liked movies like uh bohemian rhapsody you know or ray uh, or whatever then you'll probably like elvis um but it's not for me i i I kind of want something more interesting different new in my musical biopics dewey cox just broke yeah musical movies like it's it's they're done as a genre now you you cannot do it again i don't understand i don't understand why people don't watch walk hard and say (laughs) okay i'm gonna try to make a movie that doesn't do this Right, I I don't understand. I don't get it. Like, if there was, <laughs> if there was somebody who made a parody of, actually, somebody has made a parody of a uh, mm-hmm. mo- movie podcast. Mm-hmm. It's called On Cinema, and I listen to it and I take notes on what not to do. <laughs> so I don't understand why people don't do the same for musical biopics. Anyway, that's Elvis. It's out in theaters this weekend. I had a chance to watch The Old Man, which is a show I'm going to be talking about on Extra Hot Great podcast this week. Uh, did you guys hear about The Old Man? Yeah, yeah it looks Jeff cool. Bridges and... Yeah. Uh, the other guy? <laughs> John Lithgow. John Lithgow. John Lithgow. Other yeah. guy. How dare you, John? Yeah, how dare you? Wow. I wanted to say Jonathan Price, and I knew that was wrong, so I didn't say anything. <laughs> I'm going to try to not reveal that. Is this something you guys intend to check out? Or yeah, you guys, yeah, yeah. Is it, I'm very the curious trailer, about it, yeah. I, I, know, I know the pitch, yeah. Yeah, you know the pitch. Okay, so Jeff, if you don't want to know even the... Pre- I mean, I'm going to try to be as vague as possible, because I think... You know, it's uh, it's a really interesting show. Um, kind of a downer, though. Well, is it kind no. of? Yeah, kind can, of. Can I, I mean, compare it to something that yeah, I think c- may, may? It seems like Jeff Bridges taken, basically. Yes, it, yes. it is extremely Jeff Bridges taken. That's um, that's all it is. Old man kicking ass. Yes. So yes, I'm down for this. Yes, and I, I will say without revealing too much that it is an action show. Uh, there is action in it, and uh, to paraphrase. Verbal Kint, the greatest trick the old man ever pulled is convincing you that Jeff Bridges, a 72-year-old man at the time of uh-huh. this recording, 
can be an action star. And yeah. it, it is remarkable how well they're able to pull this off. We're in um, a wild time for, for action actors or formerly like really uh, high profile actors who now can just do gritty action, I guess, in a way. We're Leave about to get uh, another Indiana Jones movie. Sure. Oh, my God. With an yeah. octogenarian, I think. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the old man, uh, I don't think this show is going to be anything other than a fun genre exercise but what's cool about it is it does have jeff bridges academy award winner jeff bridges it does have john lithgow it has a great cast uh it has cool action john watts directed the first couple episodes um and yeah it has an old man being an action star and so it's like okay you know it's it's i don't think it's going to be beyond that because it's going to be anything beyond that because there's many times it has the option of choosing something more interesting and it chooses not to do the more interesting thing. And uh, and so at the end of the day, it's fun. I think it w- was released on Father's Day weekend. And so uh, it's a perfect dad show, I would say. Um, so can we call it the Big Lepowski? Wow. Because he punches. I'm not going to forget that. Oh, one. wow. Le- pow for punch. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like a because that's the sound effect often punches make. <laughs> yeah. Big Lepowski. I'm just going to leave you alone with that one, Jack. <laughs> Try to come back from this. I'm All like yours. stunned into submission. Anyway, uh, guys, Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow have never been in the same thing before. Yeah, um, cool. So it's cool to watch them kind of like square off uh, against each other or with each other or whatever I mean, I, the plot is. I never is. thought the, the words Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow squaring off is a thing. Yeah. Like, I, I've never thought of that. It's not like Pacino and De Niro <laughs> squaring <laughs> off. Two, little different. Two titans of our dramatic film landscape. Yeah. So, I don't know. John Lithgow, I think, is I love an underrated kind of mm-hmm. uh, bad guy slash villain. I mean, he. I, it is, it, I'll just say it is ambiguous what he actually is in this mm. show. But... Um, you know, he he is kind of like, seeing him. He's spent so many years on Third Rock from the Sun that, like, I actually really like his his more serious work, even mm-hmm. in stuff like uh, I don't know. He was he was the villain in Cliffhanger. I want to say, you yeah. know, <laughs> let the so. kids dance, Dave. Yeah, he, he was a good murderer in Dexter. <laughs> yes, by the way. Yeah. yes, Lo- love a, love an evil John Lithgow. That's all I'm saying. He's also it. the dad in Harry and the Hendersons. Mm-hmm. You know? It's true. It's oh, a yeah. nice old nice Wait, nice dad. He, oh, the uh, movie or the yeah. yeah, the movie. Sorry, hmm. I know it mostly from the TV show. He was a different guy in the TV show. There's a, but... t- there's a Harry and the Hendersons TV show? Oh, my God. Yes, yeah. I watched for many watched years. a ton of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, that's The Old Man, and it is uh, available right now on FX and also uh, streaming on Hulu. It is time to tell you about our sponsor, Backbone. What is holding you back from the ultimate gaming experience? Is it the hundreds of dollars it costs for your setup? Or are you the busy on the go type with only a few minutes to spare? Well, let me tell you, level up your game with Backbone, the universal gaming essential that lets you instantly play hundreds of console games on your phone, no console required. Backbone is the newest game-changing essential that transforms your iPhone into a handheld console so that you can play anywhere, anytime. Simply plug in your iPhone to the backbone and enjoy console quality controls with responsive buttons and triggers, clickable analog sticks, and more. As you play Xbox, PlayStation, 
PC and App Store games. This has changed my life. After hearing my co-host on the DLC podcast talk about Backbone all the time, I finally got one and I am loving it. It's incredible. It's so easy to pop into a backpack or take with me on the go. And I don't have to worry about lugging around larger consoles. I got them right on my phone. I've been playing Diablo Immortal on my backbone and it makes it feel like a real console with the real controls. It's fantastic and it's so easy. And if you don't even own a console, no problem. Stream hundreds of games like FIFA, Halo, Minecraft, and more through cloud gaming services like Xbox Game Pass, Nvidia's GeForce Now, and Google Stadia. And even if you already have a PlayStation, Xbox, or PC, you can play the games you own with remote play or use Steam Link. The Steam Link app works great. Experience for yourself what TechCrunch called the closest we've ever seen to a portable Xbox. Go to playbackbone.com slash filmcast right now to order your backbone until June 30th, and you'll get free access to over 350 console games and perks, including one month free of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, one month free of Apple Arcade, two months free of Google Stadia Pro, and three months free of Discord Nitro. Find your next adventure at playbackbone.com slash filmcast. Uh, I had a couple other things I want to discuss, but maybe I'll save them for later. Uh, Devendra, let's go to you. What have you watched this week? Sure. I finally checked out the documentary Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain. I feel like this, this has been on your yeah. list for a long time, right? But it's, it has been, it's, it's on HBO Max now, right? It's so. sort of like, yeah, it's on HBO Max, but it's also sort of on like, it's a list that's sort of like, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to see this movie. You know, it's like a special list. It's like, I got to be okay with it. Um, because uh, Bourdain meant a lot to me creatively and professionally. And just like his work was, I was a huge fan of his books and all of his shows and, you know, just the things he did and the way he explored different cultures around the world always meant a lot to me. I always felt he was a very humane common, like commentarian. He's not like a freaking Ramsey going in and trying to make that culture's food immediately in every single show. Uh, so I loved Bourdain. And when he passed away, that just kind of, it hurt, you know? And I, I've talked to a lot of other uh, major fans of his, like it, it is like losing a loved one because a lot of us just really identified with this guy. So it took a while for me to like work up the strength to see this, uh, this movie. And I also heard the, uh, you know, the controversies around it too. Um, famously Morgan Neville, the director used uh, an AI process to basically uh, recreate uh, Bourdain's voice for a couple lines and Watching right. that in action, Re reading reading yeah. Bourdain's actual words, reading personal right? emails yeah. to but, people. But I yeah. I would agree that I I don't think it's a good practice because you're implying yeah. that you somehow got this material in real life or you interviewed him or something like that. You know, there's, there's I feel like ethical it, issues with yeah, it. But what, yeah, yeah. what was your reaction in to the in it? in the process of watching it? Not that big of a deal. I feel like they they could have just said like when you say reenactment at the bottom of any documentary, you know, it's like digital recreation or something of Bourdain's voice. Like, it's just a little right. note about what it is. That didn't bother me. Um, wait, wait, they did or did not do that? They did not do that. Yeah, and it's you're just, saying they should have. They should have. They should have, just yeah. so you know. Yeah. I feel like anybody, an actual Bourdain fan who knows this guy's voice and timber and just the way he speaks wouldn't be like, oh, that's off. That doesn't sound mm -hmm. right. That's sort of like if you get 
uh, Siri or something to read you a line. It's It, it kind of has this voice, but it's a little off and inhuman. Uh, that didn't bother me. Um, I think this movie is a really interesting look at his career and kind of where things went uh, from the people that worked with him. But there is something a little ghoulish about this movie, too. That is really weird because like the final act it delves into his relationship with Asia Argento and just like really lays into like, oh, th- th- this is her fault. Like it's kind of her fault. He killed himself. And it's just like a little brutal. Like I, I know she- there are a lot of issues around her as well. Um, but it, it seemed like very definitive and a weird way for a lot of the crew that were working on his show to sort of like wipe their hands of certain episodes and just like it felt like it was more for them than for people who actually loved and appreciated Bourdain's work so I found that a little odd and a lot of these folks too the people behind his production studio I believe they also did a book together so there's a lot of people just like continuing to milk um money off of Bourdain's name right because they were tangentially working with him related to him or something so that i'm just like a little iffy about that part but as a as an exploration of who he was and what he was doing i think you know the first two-thirds of this movie are really interesting it gets us some behind the scenes footage it gets us some idea about like who he was as a person and how he started from being just kind of like you know as as he admitted like a a drug using uh cook for most of his life. And then he immediately became super famous with one book and his, uh, his life just kind of spiraled into celebrity from there. So it kind of explores some of that. I just wish, uh, you know, it wasn't so ghoulish, like uh, towards where things go. There's an episode of, uh, of parts unknown, which is this CNN show where they go to Hong Kong and Asia Argento basically ends up directing it. And uh, he gets Christopher Doyle, Wong Kar Wai's cinematographer, they were just like hanging out and uh, Christopher Doyle was like, I'll shoot your show. And he was so excited about that. And I remember that episode was really fun to watch it just be really different. But everybody on the crew just felt like it was a complete uh, disaster. And uh, sort of, like they, they almost like entirely disowned that episode. And it's a weird disconnect between the way they feel about it and the way I felt about it as a viewer, too. So it's kind of weird. I think now that it's on HBO max, um, it is worth watching, especially if you're a fan of Bourdain, but you know, brace yourself for it. And I don't know if it's as fair as it could be, you know, to the people around him and how they affected him. Got it. That's Roadrunner, And it is available right now on HBO max. Mm-hmm. Devendra, I think you wanted to give a shout out to Cha Cha real smooth, which yeah, is available on out. Apple TV plus It's right? on Apple TV plus. I believe it's in theaters too, uh, from what I've seen in some listings, but this is Cooper Rafe's movie, which did really well at Sundance. And, uh, I, I, I still really like this movie. Um, I watched it with my wife this time. It's about a, a guy out of college who kind of is a little directionless, doesn't know what he's doing with his life. And we've seen a ton of these movies. Uh, he finds himself, uh, he is very well equipped to be a party starter at bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. So just really to help, you know, the kids get out there and dance and have fun. And I think it's a really, really fascinating um, look at somebody who's kind of stuck in a place in life. Clearly like Cooper Rafe is direct director, writer, you know, star of this movie. He is a really young guy and this has sort of young guy perspectives in terms of life and everything. But I also find this movie really funny, genuinely heartwarming. Um, It is openly emotional in a way that I feel like things we don't really see that often. And, you know, for me and my wife, we found that really just like really appealing and really different than a lot of other coming of age stories. Um, It's about sense of guy 
and life affects him, you know, very, very clearly and very obviously at times. But I find it very sweet. Um, he ends up, you know, having a sort of close relationship to a, a mother played by Dakota Johnson and her daughter. And it, it is just like a it's a movie that kind of explores how these people connect to each other, how they all find different um directions in their lives and you know how this mother who who is engaged to be married to somebody um kind of figures out what she wants to do with her life and how he figures out how he wants to do i think it's really sweet and earnest and i just really dug it it's not a particularly deep movie but i think it it is like by definition a crowd pleaser i think it's a movie a lot of people like i've seen the negative reviews around this and yeah i agree with some of them i think manola dargis and the new york times just tore this movie apart you should uh if you guys want to see a dead body, go read her review <laughs> of Cha-Cha Real Smooth because, uh, yeah, he's dead on the ground there. Uh, but I think it's really fun and interesting. And I am normally really averse to movies that try to be like very cloying or emotional without really earning it. I think this movie genuinely earns it. So check it out. It's on Apple TV+. Plus. Jeff, I think you'll really dig this movie, too. So yeah, Cha-Cha Real Smooth. It's fun. I do want to check it out. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say I think that the movie is very specific in its sensibility. Right. Sure. Speaking about those negative reviews, it's very specific in sense of sensibility, and um, there are uh, many people out there, but potentially myself included, for whom a movie about a twenty-year-old dude trying to struggle his way through life um, might be not as appealing or actively annoying. Uh, and if that's the case, you might not, not like Cha Cha Real Smooth. But I would agree with you, Devinder, that for the vast majority of people. Um, this is yeah. a crowd pleasing movie. Uh, I mean, listen, I'm enjoy. I'm fully my radar is definitely <laughs> on for these stories being told over and over again. But you know, there are a lot of things that are different about this. I think the relationship between him and his mother is kind of kind of interesting and sweet. Le- Leslie Mann plays his mother. the The role of a party starter at bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs is is just interesting. You know, these events that people go to. I I've been to several bat, bar mitzvahs, like it when I was a kid uh, with all my teen friends. So. Uh, just going that experience over and over again, I think is really interesting and specific. Um, Grab Brad Garrett is in this and he is just a lot of, he is fun playing the sort of like sad sack of this movie. So I just really like a lot of these characters, but you know, it's, it's one of those things like either it works for you or it's all too sweet and you hate it. Indeed. Cha-Cha Real Smooth is available right now on Apple TV plus. That's what Davinder has been watching. Jeff Kanata. What are you watching? Well, I checked out a new movie on uh paramount plus yeah i was interested in this one yeah it's called jerry and marge go large uh it is a film starring two uh uh, actors that i uh i really like and that's why i (laughs) tuned into this movie brian cranston and annette benning are the stars they play uh an older it's based on a true story actually based based on the uh newspaper article or magazine article about a true story Uh, about two Midwesterners, uh, one of whom, Jerry, who uh, is played by Brian Cranston, who notices a loophole in the state lottery, a specific state lottery game, uh, that means it's uh, you can't lose, and proceeds to exploit that uh, even across multiple states. Um, This is a charming light movie uh very much intended for an older audience uh, i think this is part of an initiative uh to sort of market to folks um, much older than me <laughs> but 
I am also uh, the kind of person that uh, will will follow my favorite actors anywhere. I love Brian Cranston, and I just you know, love watching him work. Uh, and Annette Bening is is always wonderful as well. My, my biggest issue with this movie is they may be numerically uh, in the right age range for these roles, but I don't think of either. Brian Cranston or Annette Benning as like doddering old people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, they are very much portraying doddering old people <laughs> who, uh, you know, are, are just, uh, I mean, their relationship in this film is very charming. It is not the kind of relationship you often see put on screen of people who have been married in decades who, uh, you know, are trying to rekindle the magic of their relationship. And so much of this movie is about that. It's, it's, it's only, I mean, it's about this, this lottery scheme in a lot of ways, but it's much more about trying to tell this heartwarming tale of people who are good at their core. And I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. It is not the, these, these aren't criminals. They, uh, in the true story is they kept meticulous records for the IRS because they knew they were going to get audited and they were very careful not to uh, not to break the law in any way, and um, formed a corporation that was like an investment corporation in this lottery scheme. Uh, so it 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 very much uh, is this heartwarming tale of people trying to do good and be good, um, and uh, it's much very much about their relationship. And then, sort of midway through, they introduce an antagonist, and I think the movie. It kind of goes off the rails a bit, and and I guess it's it's also true that there was an antagonist in this in this situation. I won't reveal in what way, but it's it's very pat, and ultimately the big end moment is just a a, a speech. You know, it's like we're all supposed to feel a certain way from the speech, and it so it's a very pat kind of um, uh, mm-hmm. formulaic movie in a lot of ways. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it. It's not very long; it's about ninety minutes. It's uh, has some great performances, and the the cast is stacked: Brian Cranston, Annette Bening, Rain Wilson, Michael McKean, Larry Wilmore. I mean, it's like this. It's just wall to wall people that I enjoy watching, and uh, so uh, Larry, Jerry and Marge go large. It's the kind of movie that I'm heartily recommending to my mother and father in law. You know, um, so it it might be a little skew a little older than many of our audience would prefer uh, and it's not going to offend you or challenge you in any way but it's a it's a a nice light fluffy fun movie uh that's jerry and marge go large it's available right now on paramount plus uh, and to be fair jeff uh my understanding is that jerry from the movie the real life guy was almost exactly the same age as brian cranston was when he filmed this movie again that's what i said numerically yes it may be appropriate do you think of Brian Cranston as a doddering old man? Because that's how, what he's playing in this movie. Mm, maybe plays... not doddering, but yeah, I mean, he's 66 at this point, you know? Yeah, I so, guess. Uh, but he is very much uh, a, a, adopting uh, speech patterns and mm-hmm. movements. He's he's kind of hunched over and he walks, he ambles in this movie. He's very much I playing a, uh, an, an old man. Um, and that's, you know, it's it, it's fine. I just... I was like, boy, I don't, I kind of don't buy this. <laughs> you know, this guy is going to take down the the, the cartels, you yeah. know? <laughs> I think that pop culture has really done us a disservice in the sense that it's, 
it's done a bad job over the course of many years accurately depicting people at their actual ages. Well, you sure. Know, like, yeah. All the way from people who are in their 20s playing high schoolers to, you know, um, younger people playing older people. Like, it's just, there's certain ages that aren't depicted very often. And often when they are, they're depicted by people who are not that age. Right. right? And, and also, I mean, the real life Jerry from this story is probably not that far off from Tom Cruise's actual age. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> we're, uh, it's, uh, it's all relative. <laughs> yeah. Um, only thing is, unfortunately, uh, this movie had far fewer uh, Dark Star uh, uh, jets than, <laughs> than Top Gun Maverick, you know? You, you haven't seen it though. There's a major jet sequence <laughs> in this movie. I mean, Tom he does Cruise win the lottery. He buys a, a fourteen. <laughs> no. Do you guys ever hear that story about that guy that uh, traded in those like Pepsi things for the jet? You guys know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah like yeah. the Harrier or whatever it was. Like the uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually still pissed about this. Um, <laughs> so in the, in the '90s. There was a case called Leonard versus PepsiCo Inc., um, which there was a there was a contest where you could like collect Pepsi points through the purchase of Pepsi products, right? Yeah, and they would show you like uh, on screen like, oh, so and so Pepsi points gives you like a backpack or whatever, and then uh, a Harrier jet swung into view at the end of the of the ad. And it's like, you can even get a Harrier Jet. And then at the bottom, they said, Harrier Jet, 7 million Pepsi, Pepsi points. Right? Yeah. Somebody then tried to cash that in. And Pepsi was like, well, clearly that was a joke. Um, well, actually, sorry, sorry, sorry. What, what ended up happening was you're, they, they actually established a trade-in value for the Pepsi points, right? Like, you can, you can instead of trading in Pepsi points, you can trade in X dollars per number of Pepsi points. So the, uh, the guy was like, oh, hey, I found a loophole. He sent in a check for $700,000, and per the contest rules, he's like, you owe me a Harrier jet, which, by the way, is worth way more than $700,000. Um, unfortunately, I believe he ended up losing his case. Uh, and Pepsi was like, it was a joke. It was a joke. Anyway, are you bringing this up? I literally saw this referenced this morning on Twitter <laughs> in regard to the Trump Georgia situation. Mm. Did no, you? Are you uh, referencing it because of that? No. Uh, it's well, I'm so referencing weird. It, I'm referencing. It, I'm referencing it for a couple of reasons. First of all, I saw a. I read an article. I think it was a Snopes or maybe it was a TikTok. I, I saw something about it recently, uh, like a few weeks ago. Also, it seemed somewhat relevant to your movie, which is about loopholes yeah. and contests, right? And also because this still bothers me to this day. <laughs> and maybe is 1% of the reason I try not to drink Pepsi products. So <laughs> anyway, Jerry and Marge go large. Available Sticking on it to the man. Dave, way to go. Hey, I'm going to jump in here and ask you a simple question. Are you using a VPN? Like our sponsor NordVPN? No one likes to be watched or tracked. Even if, even if you have nothing to hide. You don't like it. That's why it is important to step up your privacy game. When you're browsing through a VPN, your traffic is encrypted so no one can see what you do online. You can use a VPN to secure your connection to public Wi-Fi. This is great for me. I've been traveling a lot using lots of public Wi-Fi. And I have been using NordVPN exclusively as my VPN. Why? It's fast. It's fast. Amazing speed. It is confirmed by speed tests that NordVPN is the fastest VPN 
out there. And that is super important for me. I want to be able to get on, stream things, stream movies, stream content. I don't want to wait for a VPN. With over 55 servers in 60 countries, you can find a server near you for better speed or connect to a faraway location to freely explore the internet. It's so easy to use. You connect with only one click or you can enable auto connect for zero click protection. And it works on up to six devices on every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, and Linux. Even your Android TV supports NordVPN. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com filmcast to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan and free threat protection plus one additional month free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's NordVPN, N-O-R-D-V-P-N.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Try it risk-free now with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Jeff, what uh, else have you been watching this week? I also, uh, recently, during my, uh, my frequent trips to Atlanta over the last several weeks, uh, I finally watched a show that I had been meaning to watch for many years. I, I can't remember if either of you guys had watched it or recommended it to me. Yes. I think Devendra has recommended it multiple yeah. times. For All Mankind, which basically yes. just started its third season uh, just last week, I think. Yeah. Um, I watched all of season one. So I have not caught up. I have not watched season two. No spoilers, you, You've seen enough good shit to be like, you're going to keep going, right? Oh, I am definitely keeping going. Yeah, uh, yeah. I will say this about For All Mankind. It's a slog. It's a slog. <laughs> I think this the first is, three episodes are a slog, yeah. I think much of the first season is a slog. Mm. But the last two episodes of season one make it all worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. And it, and, it, it does not continue to be that way. So I'll put it that way, yeah. I have heard season two is is another slog, but that it also pays off in a big way. But I, I, I'm I, but I'm in at this point because yeah, yeah. Um, I will tell you, it it feels very much like a novel. It very purposefully places pieces on the chessboard in ways that you're like, I just I'm not I don't care about the it. Okay, let me back up. For all mankind is a science fiction show. From Ronald D. Moore, the guy who did Battlestar Galactica and others. Um, and it's an alternate history uh, science fiction show. So the idea is, what if the Russians got to the moon before the United States? So we're in the middle of the space race. It's the 1950s and 60s. And the Russians get there first. How does that change the course of history? And the supposition here is that it accelerates everything and keeps America's foot on the gas with regard right, right. to space exploration to the point where in season three, evidently we're like going to Mars. Um, season one is basically about America's first expeditions to the moon, the Apollo program. And it, much of it is about how uh, the Russians put a, a woman on the moon first. And so America decides Nixon, uh, this, you know, this alternate history, Nixon, decides we need to match that and we need to have women in our space program. And there is a ton of really awesome procedural stuff about mm -hmm. what that process would be like. It gets into the nitty gritty about that process. And I loved 
all of that stuff. I loved all that procedural, smart people working on difficult problems, pushing themselves past the limit. But the show is equally, if not more, about the lives of these people, the daily, the, the personal impacts, PTA mid- meetings and uh, home life and going to the bar afterwards and the interpersonal relationships and what it's like, how hard is it on the spouses of these people that stay behind? And all of that stuff just felt so uh, difficult to get to. It was, it, all <laughs> of it, was, it felt so slow, so laborious so I just was like, get us back to the spacey, fun sci-fi stuff, please. You, you, you gotta, you gotta have both though. Like you, these characters, especially as you get into season two, Jeff. Like I, I don't know. It, well, I feel like that relationship, like having those, maybe it's more soapy elements. Like it connects you to the characters by the time you get to the space shit. Well, know? that that's the, where I was headed with this. Yeah, is yeah. that by the last two episodes of season one, you go. Oh, that's why we've spent so much time on all of this. Mm-hmm. Because now I am weeping like a child on an airplane as the flight attendant is asking me what beverage I'd like. I'm oh, this uncontrollably is a bad show to watch on a plane. Yeah. Not great show <laughs> to watch on a plane. But I realized, oh, this was elaborate set piecing. This was setting the table. And the last two episodes were the meal. And the meal, because the table was set so specifically and so laboriously, it all pays off. And you go, oh my gosh, I have such a deep understanding of who all these people are that when the shit hits the fan, I am deeply invested, deeply invested. And I know what it means for all of these people. And these hours and hours and hours that I've spent dealing with their personal lives and going, I just, this, none of this is particularly interesting. It's all such small stakes. It's like, oh no, the stakes now have gotten huge. And now I, I understand who all these people are and what it means to all of them. And so in that sense, it really feels to me like a novel in that, you know, you're spending hundreds of pages and hundreds of pages uh, understanding all, all of the characters that you're dealing with uh, building up to your climax. And, and, you know, very different than a film would be Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because, you know, we're hours and hours and hours of this 10 hour long episode season is spent just setting the table. And I don't know if I, I, I I mean, there are a lot of slow burns, you know, that, that I've enjoyed. Um, Oh, what is the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, there's another, there's a Netflix show that I reference all the time as being a slow burn. Another name is, is oh, leaving my head. Uh, Bloodline? Bloodline. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm, Very mm-hmm. much a slow burn. Um, I think this makes that look like a fast paced <laughs> thrill ride <laughs> personally. But, but ultimately um, it sounds like you still recommend it. And absolutely. you're still, you're still I, in. Like, I'm so glad I stuck with it. It's such an interesting show. It's so different than anything else out there. It's really well, I mean, when we finally get like to the moon, the budget of the show, the, the art direction, it really is very believable uh, as a television show that takes place, that has these big ideas and has these big moments and does all this big stuff. It, it's very powerful. And man, those last two episodes are white knuckle. I mean, as good as, as good as like 
the movie Gravity in, in a lot of ways. Like it, it just has, the, obviously doesn't have that kind of budget and that kind of visuals, but just sort of narratively has white knuckle crying, like believing in these people, caring about these people, rooting for these people. Uh, so I am super in for season two and and now the start of season three. Oh boy. Davinder, are you caught up with For All Mankind? I'm not fully, I'm not into season three yet, but I have watched uh, one and two. And yeah, it's a good show. It's a very special show. I feel like I have to watch it with a specific mindset because it is, it is very deep, right? It, it doesn't always give you the quick rewards. Maybe other shows do, but I think it is worth the investment. Um, yeah, it's tremendous. I'm glad to see Ronald D. Moore continuing to like do space stuff. And I do, my, my secret wish is that they can keep doing this to the point where you, he's basically making his like pre Star Trek. You know, like how do how do we get mm-hmm. to interstellar travel? Like keep keep going with the show. Yeah. Give us more time jumps. Like I, I want this idea to keep going because it's so good. That's the notion. I think that was mm-hmm. the I have a, yeah. I have a friend yeah, yeah. who's actually a series regular on this show, and that was the pitch from the beginning. Is that Oof. what if you know every season we jump ten years and and eventually we're past where we actually are and we're in the future and it's mm-hmm. you have mm. sourced you have placed all the building blocks for creating a true science fiction show, but we saw how it started in our world. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's such a cool idea. It's so cool. I hope like Apple's unlimited money to, to make this thing just kind of keeps going. Uh, I, I, the one thing is that I don't think they're paying as much attention to aging as much or right. aging. Some of these characters, because like uh season two is, you know, a lot of these folks in the eighties and Joel Kinnaman still looks like a goddamn supermodel. So <laughs> it's amazing. It's for all mankind seasons one through three available right now on Apple TV plus Jeff Kanata. I wanted to talk with you about this final choice on your Obi-Wan watching list. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is something that I was pretty curious about because I think American Vandal on Netflix is a masterpiece. Agreed. Um, and Agreed. the guys behind it uh, made a new show on Paramount Plus called Players, and it's about esports. Yeah, I, I saw a promo for the show Players, yes. not knowing that it was the American Vandal team. And I thought, I'd rather poke my eyes out with a hot poker than watch this show. <laughs> and, you know, I I watched the the first episode of the show, or the first 15 minutes of the first episode, and I was like, I had the exact same reaction I had when I watched American Vandal episode one, which was, I get it, I don't need any more of this, right? Like, this is, the 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 humor or satire is surface level, I am done. I don't need any more of this. And actually, I find it mildly insulting to my intelligence. Um, was my reaction after watching like the first, you know, part or the first episode basically of Players on Paramount Plus. But then I kept going. And and the premise of Players is basically what if the last dance, but for an esports team? That's the premise, right? What if the last dance as a documentary? Um, but it's a mockumentary even, and it's about esports. Even right? sort of using the same iconography of Last Dance, where it shows you the timeline yes. as a visual and then sort of moves it yes. forward and moves it back so you know where you are in the timeline. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think it's, I don't find the show particularly funny. I don't think it's as good as American Vandal, but I do like the show. I do like the show because. Uh, as with American Vandal, you, you you introduce many of these characters as kind of archetypes or caricatures, and then the show makes you care about them. And that's what I found with players as well. I'm actually really into the show. I'm three episodes in out of uh, 10 episodes that are going to air throughout the next couple months. 
But Jeff Kanata, as somebody who comes from the gaming world, so curious, how many episodes do you watch and what do you think of the show? I have watched three episodes. Same and as me, yep. I think this is the best video game show that has ever been made. Whoa. The best, the best show about video game culture and yes. video games. Um, they're all, and that's a very low bar because almost <laughs> all game move, uh, shows about movies, shows, whatever, media, a fictional media about video game culture is garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I assumed this would be garbage yeah. uh, because the trailer looks like garbage. Uh, and to the point where I was like, I'm not even avoiding watching the trailer because I know I'm not going to watch this because it looks like garbage. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you texted me and was like, or you texted all of us and you and you said, this is the American Vandal team. And I went, you know, I <laughs> did not know that. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I am on the same page where I think American Vandal is a work of genius. Yeah. Um, and I so I was a like, Peabody Award, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it is know? sublime that yeah. it, it, it's unbelievable. Season two, yeah. I think, was a slight step down from season one. Yes, yes. But. They're both it's still great. funny, They're both and great, yeah. but season one is is truly exceptional. I yep. mean, it is pinpoint accurate satire, beautifully done. Yes, um, agreed. This I don't think is really satire. It's not trying to do the same thing. Yeah, um, there are moments that are funny, very much so. I laughed out loud. They are very few and far between. Yeah, yeah. this is not. I mean, I talked last week about. Um, the idea of uh, laughs per minute and, and you know, the density of, <laughs> uh-huh, of uh-huh. Uh, jokes. If this is a comedy, and I think it is in, in large sense, v- very few and far between for the jokes. It, but it is very compelling. The performances, that, this American Vandal team gets these cinema verite performances out of people in a, a way I have never seen before. It, it, mm-hmm. it is so believable yes. as a faux documentary. And so you just feel like these people are kind of coming up with it in the moment. I'm sure a lot of it is improvised, but it's it's just fantastic. And a lot of actors I've never seen before. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you kind of believe, that's another layer of it believable as Cinema Verite is, is you go, well, I've never seen these in any other role. So I believe them as this person immediately. One of the things I love about the show and how it imitates the documentary style is when you're watching a documentary like this and they do the Talking Heads interview, you you see the Talking Heads in like a variety of different environments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. there's one where they're like in the studio, dressed up really nice. And then yeah. there's one where it's like right after an event and there's one where they're in their house. Yeah. And it's like, oh, clearly like they cut this together after, you know, they they interviewed them in like five different times in five different places. And then they just cut together what made the most sense for the story. They do that here as well, even though yeah. they had complete control over it. Right. So it's so smart. It's yeah, so it's smart. Like they imitate the style almost exactly correctly of what, yeah, what it's, it's true. Like. Yeah. And the the flashback stuff. I mean, this takes place in in uh, you know like a seven year yeah. uh, uh, time span, and the the flashback stuff is so believable. Yeah, and, it's it's amazing how good it is. It's like, so good. And the it, way it's shot, just like wardrobe. I think they do just mostly wardrobe and hair, and they're able to convince you that these people are like seven years younger. Yeah, it's really. Yeah. I mean, the one guy yeah. is clearly wearing a wig, yes. but it's funny. It's like funny how he's wearing a wig too. Yeah. It, and the the way it's shot is is so. It feels like found footage. It feels yeah. like documentary. Yeah. Like oh, we we used the footage of just the person who picked up their iPhone that day and started yeah. shooting it, and it's. It's so good, and I'm comp- I'm compelled by the characters. I they're not they are archetypes, but they're not 
two dimensional in any way. Like there's th- this egomaniac dude who also kind <laughs> of makes some solid points about things, you know, and it's, it's, yeah. it's really good. It's, it's the, literally the first show. And there have been many attempts at this to take the esports scene and make it interesting, compelling and authentic. Like the other thing that the show does, I think better than any show I've ever seen is that it speaks in video game parlance. It mm-hmm. uses mm-hmm. the vernacular and subgroup sort of, you know, in-group speak of, of the way we talk when we talk about esports or video games that is often impenetrable to outsiders. And while it presents it in a way, I think sometimes the show is saying, isn't this funny how impenetrable this is? Mm-hmm. It's never pointing at it and going, listen how the nerds talk. Isn't that ridiculous? It's so dumb. It is. I thought there was a little bit of that in episode one, but yeah, it, no, it goes away after that. I it's, think it, it's, yeah. there is a bit of a joke of listen to how this sounds. Yeah, yeah. But it is, it's so lightly played and it, it, it's so, it's when other shows do it. And I'm thinking of, for example, um, um, the MMORPG show that the oh, it's always sunny dude did. Um, oh, uh, Mythic Quest. Mythic mm-hmm. Quest. It is so often like exaggerated mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um and pulled into nonsense town. This show literally like every sentence that is uttered is completely understandable and and authentic. Like they're really talking the way specifically MOBA players at the highest level talk. And everything makes sense. If, if you're a League of Legends player or any MOBA, you will understand everything they're saying. And it is all like legitimate strat- strategy. They're, they're talking about specific characters in, the, in League of Legends. They're talking about, you know, <laughs> drafting a character that's like, what are you doing drafting that character? And yeah, that <laughs> all makes sense for League of Legends. Like they mm-hmm. did their homework. Yeah, yeah. And it never goes into like a parody of, you know, they're just talking nonsense words and there's never a point when anybody goes in English, please, or anything like that. You see in these bad cliche versions of it. There's a little, there's a little bit of, there's a character who's the brother of one of the uh, main yes. stars in the team and he's a audience surrogate. You mm-hmm. know? So he'll hear, hear a lot of people talking around him and he'll be like, wait, what are you guys talking about? But I, I agree. It's not in a mocking way. You it's know? done. It's, I think it's yeah. done so well like that. I totally understand what you're saying. And I agree. Yeah. That character is there to be that, yes. but it is never, it's never insulting the audience's intelligence. Like I, I, I agree. I agree. As yeah. somebody who is deeply ingrained in that culture and has played lots of MOBAs and knows exactly what they're talking about, it never assumes I don't, right? It's just yeah. also giving information for, I think if you don't, you would still get something out of the show. And I, I just think so highly of the show. I, I came in with such rock bottom expectations and I because it was watched, a Dave Chen recommendation, obviously. Yes, because you know? yeah. Dave said, "Hey, watch this." I was like, "Well, here's a waste of my time." <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am. I think the show legitimately think the show is the best depiction of video game culture in a fictional show ever. Well. I don't know if uh, I have enough expertise to even make that pronouncement, but I really like the show. I'm I'm in. I'm yeah. in it until the end. I'm going to watch all the way through episode ten. I'm really enjoying it. And, and a- as you said, you know, Jeff, it really captures gaming culture really well. And one of the things it does capture is like what it's like to win. 
You know, if you're part of a crew of people um, that work really hard to like play a game and it's like, it, there's just this intense joy of winning in a gaming tournament, mm-hmm. you know, that, that a game, uh, a show like players on Paramount plus captures. What were you going to say? Jeff? The thing that is also very interesting to me is that although it uses the same style, it is very much not attempting to do what American Vandal did. Yes. It, it is it is them working in that same you know faux documentary style again, but it is it is not skewering its subject in the same way, and and I think that's such an interesting turn. Like I kind of expected that, and to have it play things for the inherent drama in the concept rather yeah, than sort of yeah. poking fun at that, I was very surprised by. We'll we'll see, you know. We'll see if right. like the documentarians become part of the story in any way. Right. But yeah, I, I don't like American Vandal was very funny, but also in in many ways a takedown of the true crime industry. hundred percent. Yeah. Right? I don't feel like Players is a takedown of sports documentaries. Right? I agree in the same way. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's trying to. It's an authentic sort of telling of how dramatic and and interesting these stories can be, and I think yeah. that's kind of kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's Players on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, Jeff and I are really watching it and enjoying it. And uh, yeah, Jeff, we'll see, we'll see how we feel at the end of this thing. Yeah, I, don't, I hope I, I don't feel see, as strongly yeah. throughout the whole thing. But I, I just, I was, the biggest, one of the biggest surprises of the year for me. Like, I just, I was so enamored with it. I'm so glad. I'm so, I don't really, I don't, too, I don't stick my neck out that often, you know, for a show with you, Jeff. Um, Better Call Saul being another prominent example of one where I've done it, but um, this is another one. This is another one. It's Players on Paramount+. Plus. So when I responded to you in all caps about what you should watch this week, no, <laughs> nothing? No? No, no chance? Okay. All right. Another time. Another time. <laughs> We'd like to take a moment to thank the world of microdosing, specifically our sponsor, Microdose Gummies. Now, you've probably heard this term before when it comes to you taking, you know, low levels of CBD and uh, other things that could help you with sleep and pain, anxiety, or, you know, boosting your creative flow. And Microdose Gummy specifically delivers entry-level doses of THC that will just help you feel pretty good. I've been using Microdose Gummies when I just need to chill out after a day of running around with uh, two very young kids or when work just gets overwhelming or if I need a little help sleeping. They taste good, and uh, there's none of the impact of taking, you know, uh, high amounts of edibles or anything like that. Like, it is a very low dosage that is just very relaxing and chill. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code FILMCAST to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com and code FILMCAST. All right, let's get to weekly plugs. Weekly plugs are part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. Uh, I do a series on my personal Patreon at patreon.com slash Dave Chen called Dave on Dave, where media executive David Cho critiques, criticizes, slams, destroys, Mm -hmm. annihilates, praises, and encourages the work that I do online. Um, Big big uh, fan of David Cho. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Indeed. As he he does those things. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the first Most few, of those, those last few ones, yeah. not those last few ones, you could take or leave. But um, anyway, we do a series called Dave on Dave. We just recorded one because um, I've had some pretty big life changes recently. And we talked about some of those things. And uh, I think it's a pretty good one. 
You can check that out at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Devendra, your weekly plug. Yeah, I want to shout out the last episode of the Engadget podcast. You may have heard the story about the Google engineer who thought uh, one of their AI things is sentient, is sentient, you know, uh, is thinking for itself. And we break down why why that's not true. So <laughs> this was a fun episode. I got to use a little bit of my uh, useless philosophy degree. So that was fun. But also we talk about the idea that, you know, AI is getting good to the point where we it can easily fool us. And that in many ways could be just as dangerous as having something, you know, that, that can actually think for itself. So there's a lot to think about. Check out that episode of the Engadget podcast. All right. And Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. Well, I'm going to change mine up because uh, we also did an episode about that. How dare you, Jeff? <laughs> Don't step on my toes. No, I think it's well, complimentary. If anything, Devendra still <laughs> Jeff's thunder. Just uh, yeah, well, I think it's complimentary. I think after you're done listening to the Engadget yes, podcast, yes. Uh-huh. cruise over to wehaveconcerns.com and listen to uh, Anthony Carboni and I uh, talk about that same news story uh, about uh, about um, La- uh, Lambda mm-hmm, is the name mm-hmm. of the AI. Yeah, Lambda. Yeah. Uh, well, and, what uh, what are think- your philosophy credentials, Jeff? Just, uh, uh, we, just oh, we have no credentials. We are an okay, award-winning okay. science podcast that has you no are credentials. You've won award. You're, you're good. You're we good. are award-winning, <laughs> no credentials. Uh, but you'll hear us uh, talk about it, uh, philosophize of it, make yeah. jokes. This is not the last time this is going to happen. So, oh no, yeah, get used to I, it, that's folks. what's most. That's what's most concerning about it, in my opinion, is that like, and I'm sure you cover this, but like, on some level, it doesn't matter whether it's sentient because. Mm-hmm. People, it's good enough that people will think it is, and that's exactly. going to create a whole new era in our social exactly. order. So, yeah, people anyway, people Jeff, have been warning uh, about this forever. So, yeah, yeah. All right. So, the name of that episode at we have concerns is uh, uh, I think it's uh, artificial intelligence or personhood. I think is what we called it. Got it. All right, artificial intelligence person. Check that out over at wehaveconcerns.com. And if you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash film podcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. We never want anyone to donate if they in any way, uh, if it's in any way a financial hardship, but we do appreciate everyone who does. And if you want to support the show for free, very easy to do that. Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave us a star rating or review. It really does help us to stand out amongst the crowd. Okay, let's get to our review of Lightyear. A year of work for a four-minute flight. Isn't that something? <laughs> We're all ready if you are, sir. Well, let's go find out if this... <laughs> yeah, we got a breach in the perimeter. <laughs> Thank you. Buzz Lightyear mission log. After a full year of being marooned on this planet, our first test flight is a go. Get everyone home. Good luck, Captain. We're counting on you. Roger that. That was from the trailer for Lightyear, the latest movie from Pixar. I do want to call out that uh, this movie is the first Pixar movie to be released in theaters in over two years, and Oof. unfortunately, did not do very well. Um, it made around fifty million dollars. It did not beat Jurassic World Dominion, which was in its second weekend, and it also had a very Weak debut internationally as well. I think it only made around $30 million internationally. Um, a lot of fear uh, amongst the nattering nabobs of the film Twitter sphere that this will be more, this will be used as evidence that Pixar movies should not get a theatrical release mm. and, um, and we should just consign them to Disney Plus straight to streaming. Uh, 
I think Pixar movies are at least really interesting and deserve a theatrical release, you know, and they used to be major hits. Like, I don't know if you guys recall, it was five years ago, Coco made $800 million worldwide, you know? And uh, I think those days can come again, but it's just, you know, we're, we're in the slow uh, re-entry into the theatrical uh, environment mm -hmm. right now. It's Mm -hmm. clear. We all remembered those days based on our summer movie wager placements of my year. That's really all, all these reviews. That's what it comes down to. What does it mean for our summer movie wagers? <laughs> Not good I things. Should, for I should point out, you know, uh, Devendra, Jeff, and myself both put Lightyear as number four yeah. for this summer. It's bad. Um, every single happen. one of us put it above Top Gun Maverick, which, yeah, by the way, happen. is currently on, on track to be the number one film of 2022. Yep. Um, and the only other one that, that might be like complicated for us is we all put it in, on top of Minions The Rise of Gru. <laughs> Yeah, which, uh, which is also not going to happen. May mm-hmm. also not be a good See, thing. That what happens, I said, so. Dave, was that movie about the test pilot guy, and you guys just misinterpreted. <laughs> and I said, Lightyear, I meant Maverick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lightyear is about legendary space ranger Buzz Lightyear, who embarks on an intergalactic adventure alongside ambitious recruits Izzy, Mo Darby, and his robot companion Socks. Devendra Hardwar, your thoughts on Lightyear? Uh, it's fine. It's fine. It's a perfectly fine little space adventure. Kind mm-hmm. of everything you'd expect from the budget and animation prowess of Pixar, uh, giving us a full-on Buzz Lightyear adventure. I thought it was fine. Um, th- there are some really interesting bits here because I feel like this movie also wraps in uh, really heady concepts like time dilation, like things we heard and have seen in Interstellar uh, in a kid's film. It's kind of wild. It introduces time yeah. dilation in its first like eight yes. minutes. That's like the the and, big and, thrust. And it's like of, wow! It, it, it I saw Interstellar, you know, ten years ago, and I'm mm-hmm. still wrapping my head around what that is. You know, and, <laughs> exactly. And the idea that it's dropping time dilation, and that's not the last sci-fi concept it introduces. No, it, you know? it is. It's actually going pretty deep sci-fi wise. Um, I found that compelling. Like to have that in a kids' movie, I thought it was pretty wild. Like the cast, I, I like the general story. Um, I think my thing is it feels like this would have been better as a uh, as a Disney Plus series yes. rather than a movie. Like give me give me more time to be in this world because we spend a lot of time on a planet that they're marooned on and I I, I would just like a little more. This movie felt a little too uh, too tight maybe or too like fast. It's only an hour and 40 minutes long. I didn't get to spend enough time with these characters to really really care about them. Uh but you know, it, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. Yeah, uh, uh, some people have remarked online, and I agree, this is the first Pixar movie in theaters in two years, and it's the first one of those movies that I felt definitely would have been at home on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, yeah. Like, it feels almost like a Disney Plus bonus feature. You know, or, or like in ter- the pilot episode for a new Disney Plus TV series, you know, right, something right. like in that. In terms yeah. of the scope of its plot. But that said, Jeff Kanata, very curious, what did you think of Lightyear? Well, Dave... Mm-hmm. Guess you could say what I thought of Lightyear is best summed up in the form of a limerick. While it's true Lightyear didn't bore me, the more <laughs> Pixar we see, the more we expect the sublime. And sadly, this time, Buzz's tale is no Toy Story. Ooh, wow. That's Did really you just well rhyme done. Toy Story with bormy what did you say <laughs> yeah story with bormy yeah yeah. Wow. yeah incredible you're you're the m and m infinity for that one yeah. and beyond i would say uh i agree with uh i agree with devendra overall it's fine uh yeah i 
I'm of two minds about this movie. Uh, first, I should say, I took my five-year-old to see it, uh, mm-hmm. which Ooh. was the first movie that he and I have gone to a movie theater to see together. That's I, I'm glad to hear that, Jeff, because I was asking my daughter, Sophia, if she wanted to do that this week. And we, th- this is the day they're starting child vaccines for yes. kids under six. Woo! So, but you we know, were, but, but Jeff, did, did he have a good time? I was, is the question. Oh, I was fortunate uh, to be able to take him to a uh, sparsely attended uh, press nice. screening. Nice. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so it was not only was it the first time in a movie theater for him uh, outside our home, uh, it was the first time, uh, you know, basically empty movie theater, movie press screening. He told his friend, I saw that movie that hasn't come out yet. You know, like that. It was pretty Ooh, cool. Nice. I got to have some dad, you know, street cred. Yeah, he, he's going uh, to get a little spoiled. It's like, uh, daddy, why aren't normal movies? Uh, why aren't they treating you like a king? Yeah, you know, when exactly. you go see a normal one. We're going to see Minions uh, next week, so uh, at another press screening. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be my thing now. Mm. Um, anyway, he did like it. He did like it very much. Uh, I, it, for a five year old, I'm sure 90 percent of the concepts just went right over mm-hmm, his head. But mm-hmm. you know, if you remember when you were a kid, there's a lot of movies you saw that you you didn't grasp all of it. It doesn't matter. He, he laughed at the kitty cat, and he you know it, it's fun. It's a big space, you know, very kinetic, fun space movie. Uh, he actually has no connection to Toy Story, right? We don't watch. He's a huge fan of the Toy Story movies. Cars, on the other hand, fan of Cars, but not the Toy Story movies. He's, I think he's seen one of the Toy Story movies, but uh, he's not like, I want to see this Buzz Lightyear movie. He just wants to see a cool space movie, and it delivers that. So I think this is a very well-made, charming, fun movie uh, family entertainment. It's got a number of of laughs. It's got some clever ideas. It's got beautiful visuals and a, a fun kind of take on sci-fi. Uh, it's solid. It's solid. I, that's what I keep saying to people. This is solid. You're going to have mm-hmm, a good time. Mm-hmm. Your kids are probably going to have a good time. If that's what you want out of a Pixar movie, awesome. But traditionally, Pixar movies have been so much more than that for me. You know, they have been some of the most moving, compelling, transcendent experiences that are, are more than just kids' movies that speak to me on a fundamental level. And it, it did not reach that level. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the broad uh, takeaway from this movie, right, is everybody makes mistakes. Right. Everybody and that's great. Mistakes. That's fine. Yeah. That's wonderful. It's a, it has a great m- message, all that stuff. It's great. The other m- mind of which I am is this fundamentally makes no damn sense as a, <laughs> as a the premise upon which this is film is presented to us, right? I guess we should talk about this more in spoilers, huh? Should we? Uh-huh. I don't even know if it needs to. Be. It's not. I, I don't have any specific spoilers. I guess. I, I yeah. guess it's spoilers. Yeah, there's some spoilers. There's some spoilers. Well, um, I definitely want to go deep on that yeah. aspect of it because oh, totally. it's we a will. huge we'll. part of my personal experiences watching this movie. Is just going. <laughs> This what? Like if this was just a space a space animated film for kids like oh yeah go crazy go nuts this is great. But if you're presenting it as this light year pseudo origin story thing, I have issues. Okay. With, with some big I, I want to hear about them. I want to yeah. hear about them. Um I'll share a couple thoughts and then we can get to spoilers. Um but I think I I think for once in the last 6 months we are in complete agreement about this, you know. <laughs> uh, 
again, to name check my, my colleague Scott Mendelson, he described it as a whelming film. Like, it was very whelming. <laughs> I, I yeah. was definitely whelmed, yeah. You're not underwhelmed, <laughs> and you're not overwhelmed, yeah. This movie is really weird to me, because <laughs> I read interviews with uh, Angus McLean, uh, who directed the movie, and he, he was the one that came up with the idea for the movie. And, like, the way he described it in interviews was... I just kept thinking, like, that Buzz Lightyear action figure must have come from a movie. And it must have been, like, a really, really good movie. That's why Andy wanted to buy the toy for it, you know? And I I just kept thinking, what if we made that movie? Which is a deranged idea to make a movie from. (laughs) But also, but also, I'm like, okay, okay, I'm willing to go along with it, right? I think it's a cool idea to make. I think it's a really cool jumping Mm -hmm. off point. I think he Honestly. wanted this to be the kind of Star Wars of the Pixar of the Toy Story universe. Like right. this is a movie that Andy from Toy Story watched that was his Star Wars. And ladies it is 100% and gentlemen, not that. It is not that <laughs> at all, right? It is way more similar to like an Empire Strikes Back, which is to say like it's it's more it, s- it's similar to Interstellar. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to feel existential <laughs> angst, kids? Like it is not go. an origin story. You know, of of Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger at all, right? And so I'm like, okay, that's cool. You know, that's cool. Um, doesn't have to be an origin story. In fact, what happened what has happened much of the time is that we've gotten too many uh, origin stories. Where like at the end of the movie is finally when you're getting to the point where I want you to be at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. So I'll, I'm just gonna throw out a couple examples just off the top of my head, like um, Ridley Scott's Robin Hood, R- Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. You yeah, know, at yeah. the end of those movies, it's like, oh, we're finally forming the Knights of the Round. We're finally <laughs> getting Robin Hood and his band. And it's like, well, I want to watch the adventures that those people go on. You know, that's what right. I want to see. I don't care about the origin yeah. story. Stay so, tuned for our follow-up movies, everybody. Yeah. This is the first movie where I missed the origin story, where I'm like, where is the origin story? Because what this movie is not, it, it's not an origin story, but it's also not, mm-hmm. hey, mm-hmm. we're going to go off on a conventional Buzz Lightyear adventure. Uh-huh. You know what it's 100% not? A movie a six-year-old kid would run out and buy the toy from. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. Kind I mean, of, kind I of. think that's this, that's this is true. like doing um, Captain America: The Winter Soldier without the first Avenger movie. Yes, without having that's a great, that thing. Great comparison. Know? Great. It's basically yeah. like a we- a weird and dark second entry in like a trilogy. Is mm-hmm. kind of what it is. Is kind of what I'm what I'm going for. Um, but anyway, we have we. It's a weird movie. It's a weird movie. I don't know. the The concept is bizarre. The execution is even more bizarre. At the end of the day, it's not bad. It has some cool like sci-fi concepts yeah. as Divindra. There are laser to, swords. I like the laser swords. That's cool. Yeah, there's yeah, lots of cool stuff in it, man. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I the, appreciate that there's some cool stuff in it. The yeah. whole kitty cat is is really fun. Kitty cat's good. Yes, character Socks of the, the year. Played yeah. by Peter Sohn is like really it, cool and uh, yeah. It yeah. makes no sense at all. <laughs> That you would be able to purchase a Buzz Lightyear toy that would not come with the kitty cat. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's true. They would well, never the, sell the, that. The canonical reason that he has given in interviews is um, Andy's mom couldn't afford socks. Socks are sold separately. Andy's mom couldn't afford socks. That so terrible. Doesn't Amazing. make any sense. Not but, you since, know whatever. Not since Skywalker <laughs> is the Smith of this universe have I heard a more terrible explanation. All right. Well, we got to go to spoilers for Lightyear. Let's do spoilers for Lightyear starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been. 
puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right. So based on the pre-spoiler talk, my sense is we're going to go a little bit over schedule here, Devendra. So Devendra might need to peace out towards the end of this review. But Devendra, I want to make sure mm-hmm. you have the time to talk about any anything you want to talk about. Uh, so I'm going to go to you first. But before sure. I go to you, I want to read an email we got from a listener named Jay. Jay writes in, quote, Just saw Lightyear here in Australia, and there were three things I thought about that made me sit back and go, hmm, Disney, why? <laughs> was the shouting theirs or yours? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a uh, question mark, exclamation mark. Uh-huh. Right? Uh, so these, these there are spoilers here. Number one, with a time jump opening, Wisecracking animal companion, a younger generation tag along that the lead doesn't like but must learn to love, and an older villain with a personal relationship with the main character, all taking place in a foreign land with flying ships. This is just plain up again. <laughs> Was so disappointed to discover this. Uh, Number two. Yep. I as don't a think queer, that's the feeling you get when yeah, you watch this movie, but yeah, go ahead. Different feelings. As a queer trans person, I love that Disney is trying to bring some representation, even if it's so small and in the background as this. However, in the world of the Toy Story universe, this movie would have come out in 1993 at the latest, positioning this as a movie that would have come out near other sci-fi films of the 90s and 80s, and that makes this the most progressive film ever to have queer marriage in it. (laughs) It's actually supposed to be like mid-80s, according to the the director, too. Mm. 86, and Andy ended up just seeing it, you know. Mm. Disney, Disney pretending to be supportive when historically they were awful to yeah. uh, people of different races and uh, orientations in this and time. Th- th- there's we- a same-sex kiss in this yes. episode, in this movie, and apparently there were reports that that was cut. It's like a half a second kiss. No, it's and that, I, actually, no, I think back. it was the opposite in this cut. In this case, I think mm-hmm. they didn't cut it, and as a result, didn't get into. No, other yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like Disney wanted to cut it. And then mm. they they fought and kept it there, but w- the result is it is a half a second kiss between two women. That's and all it is. still has yeah. caused massive yep. Yep. stupidity among in in certain uh, territories around the world. Yes, um, well, and also but, America. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but uh, rewriting history there a bit, Disney. Also, how great <laughs> would it be if this is two D animated? Needless to say. Uh, that to place this as a film in 1984 that mm-hmm. a boy loved makes this film impossible to exist. Um, and then finally, because the voice actor for Buzz is different, that means Tim Allen is a cheap replacement actor to doing the voice of Toy Story uh, of the yeah. Toy, and Toy Story. Sounds about right. Yeah, big, yeah. And you you can't do that to my boy Tim Allen. Yeah, you can. He yes, sucks. He sucks. Well, <laughs> end quote. Anyway, yeah. that's from Jay writing into slash filmcast at gmail.com. Thanks for the email. It retroactively I, mm-hmm. cheapens the Buzz Lightyear toy <laughs> because it totally, is totally. It, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, such yeah. a crappy version that they couldn't get the actual likeness to do the but that, that's every toy right that's the ghostbusters toys it's a teenage mutant ninja turtle toys like so many of them yeah, yeah. it's, it's a it very goes. common thing for the yeah. toy to not have the actual voice actor right so like that that is actually in fitting yeah. in with the with the established universe it actually of toys aligns with tim yeah. allen in our culture now so yeah it all works <laughs> it all works and it also makes sense why the performance is different too mm-hmm. that it's kind mm-hmm. of this toy like more well, it, bombastic it, version dude, of that character, It right? brings up some big questions, you guys, <laughs> about the Toy Story universe because... Well, okay, I, I want to mm-hmm, get into that. I want to mm-hmm. get into it, but, but I, I just want to make sure we have time for... Devendra, did yeah, you have any right. thoughts on the ending, particularly how it handled Zerg and all that stuff that you want to talk about before yeah, you, I think I mean, you had a piece out listen, early th- This is how uh, little I have attached to the Toy Story movies. I did not realize the Zerg thing was a twist 
because I totally forgot all about Zerg and the well in, in Toy Zerg Story two. I believe yes. it's revealed that Zerg is uh, Buzz Lightyear's father, which something is a parody like of, of yes. Anakin Skywalker. You know, but I don't think that uh, Toy Story two is canon in the Lightyear universe. Right. So right. you know, so just FYI. But yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, yeah. It, it's revealed at the end of the movie that uh, the true villain is Lightyear himself. What what do you think of that? That reveal, well, kind of, kind of interesting. That is an interesting on the Darth Vader twist, and also I think James Brolin, who says the voice, uh, did a really good job. I actually thought that was Brian Cranston for a while, and I was getting <laughs> excited because Cranston, uh, back in the '90s, before he was a hot actor, did a lot of anime dubs, mm. and including like some space anime. So I thought it was kind of a callback to that, but it's not. It's James Brolin. He was good. It's fine. I thought that I did not see that twist coming, but I also didn't care as much because i didn't realize if it shifted the character at all or anything all right jeff let's have it yeah what are I mean, your okay canonical issues before we get, or, yeah before yeah. we get to the huge questions that raises which i yes. think we need to go deep there yes for sure. uh my biggest issue with this is that tonally it does not align at all with <laughs> the spirit of those toys mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. those toys are very clearly from a sort of fun, light... Yeah, like tra- Transformers G.I. Joe style. Yes, yeah. Yeah. or even even li- lighter than that. I mean, it's it's not even... It's it's so... They're, they're so it's sort of a, a flimsy universe of just Space Rangers, yay! And bad guy <laughs> Zerg, and larger-than-life kind of cartoon, you know, two-dimensional things. And to... Make this, make that retroactively based on something that is so much more complex and darker and deeper yeah. and and uh, more mature. It just, it doesn't make any damn sense to at all to me. Th- mm. This does not feel like the big fun Saturday morning cartoon space show that you would that I had always assumed Buzz Lightyear was, and all of his catchphrases, all of his. His personality traits in the Toy Story universe come from that, you know, jut your chin out and save the world. You know, it's 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 just goofy times, uh, (laughs) rah rah, jingoistic. Like, yes, yes, everything. The good is good, and bad is bad, and never the twain shall meet. Say what you will about the tenets of Buzz Lightyear, the action figure. At least it was an ethos. Exactly, exactly. And this movie is. 100% 100% none of that. Yes, correct. It, it correct. makes no sense that those toys would come from this movie or that a six-year-old would watch this movie and be like, yeah, <laughs> this is my favorite movie ever. I want all the toys from it. It almost feels like they wanted to make a sci-fi interstellar style movie about time dilation. And then we're like, how can you retrofit this into IP that we already own? Mm-hmm. But, but, that is explicitly not the story of the filmmakers that the filmmakers tell about how this movie got made. So it's very odd. Well, I, I totally would believe that they set out to make a Buzz Lightyear movie and they just got so in the weeds about making it interesting and unique and, and good that they just kind of lost the thread mm-hmm. that it's yeah. based yeah. on this kind of light, fluffy, goofy Saturday morning cartoon aesthetic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that has happened to so many movies, though. Like, you look at Ghostbusters, you look at Beetlejuice, and kind of, like, the way, like, slightly more adult things, uh, maybe not to this degree, 
But that that was always the dumbing down of Saturday morning cartoons or action figures or anything. The, the original movies were usually a little more, and mm, I, I felt mm. this often. Like yeah, the movies yeah, yeah. were okay. always a little more serious. Yeah, Devendra brings up a good point, which is that like in this universe, right? Uh, in the Toy Story universe. Okay, f- first of all, I actually made a TikTok about this that that did pretty well. But the question is. Is Lightyear an animated film in the Pixar universe? Yes. <laughs> right. Right. I don't think it is. Right. Because right, Andy. It's a live action. Andy movie, is, yes. is CG is, animated. Our depiction yeah. of Andy and the, all the humans of the world are CG it's, animated. It's live so. action yeah, but, to them. but in their universe, they don't think of themselves as CG yeah. animated, right? For no, them, of course not. Mike Ryan interview, they, like specifically asked right. that. They, no. they are all live action people. So yeah. I think Lightyear was likely a live action because Lightyear is yes. also CG animated, right? Yes. Right. So Lightyear is also a live action movie in that universe. And Devinder brings up a good point that maybe this is a situation where there was a light year movie that was dark and brooding, like uh Beetlejuice, you know, that had like a lot of dark, darker elements was made into a cartoon. And then that became an action figure. Mm. Well, but then, now mm. we're, we're adding another layer here that we haven't seen. Like, so <laughs> like if you're making the movie that's based, that the toy is based on, don't make uh-huh. another layer in between that where it's like, well, there was also a, t- a cartoon that that's really there worth that was, a TV series. That was the original text. It that was, was like, the law. That, yeah, yeah. It, it was the original text. It, the car, the uh, movie became an animated cartoon series and that, that became a toy. But they're like, you know what? Just cut it. It's too, right, just, right, just, right. It's too complicated. <laughs> right. It's too complicated. So Too much. I don't anyway. understand why you don't just make the movie that feels like the toy because the yeah. you could have a big fun goofy yes, that's, that is Buzz what Lightyear i was movie. looking for I, I was expecting that when i was watching this movie and it is not that at all it does have other virtues though but anyway davindra's gotta go yeah, sorry uh davindra uh yes. thanks for chatting with us today thanks, sorry guys. our scheduling didn't work out so you could stay for it's the whole good. review it's all good i've but said we'll everything i need to say about this movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right bye guys all right, davindra's out and we'll, we're gonna finish the review without him i mean i think i think all of that can be just summed up in the fact that everybody in this movie says to infinity and beyond. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Like, why do you make why do you make a toy based on that that goes to infinity and beyond? Like, that's incongruous. <laughs> if I bought that toy based on that movie, I'd be like, what the shit is this? <laughs> this isn't the this isn't the movie. Right? The, when, when they say it in the movie, it's very mournful, right? It's very it, it, it's plaintive. Self-serious right? and, and yeah, it, there, it is not a call to action for fun, yeah. which is how it is played in all of the Toy Story movies. Yeah. It's, that's the, that's the uh, yo, Joe of, of Buzz Lightyear, right? Yeah. I think that's the ultimate problem with this movie, right, is... Hey, I'm willing to go along with this cockamamie premise, right? Like, okay, it was the movie that it was based on, whatever. But then you actually have to deliver the movie that it was based on, something that feels like that. Yes. And it does not do it that. It does not do that whatsoever. Like, what it does is fine. It's fun and cool. But, like, but why contextualize it in this weird <laughs> way that just makes me constantly question what the hell I'm watching? Mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. weird. And now, okay, so yes. that brings me, excuse me, that brings me to... <laughs> the weird rabbit hole that it opens up about what the toy story universe is. Uh huh. We've kind of touched on like whether, you know, uh, is this a live action or animated movie? I'm more interested in asking like, okay, if the consciousness of Buzz Lightyear, the toy is based on 
an inaccurate viewing of Buzz of Lightyear the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? Because the entire premise of the first Toy Story is Woody talking to Buzz and saying, You are a toy. You're not the real Buzz Lightyear, right? Mm-hmm. But the version of the real Buzz Lightyear that Buzz Lightyear the toy thinks he is is not accurate. Well, I I don't know if I'd go that far. I think it's closer to being accurate at the end of Lightyear the film. You know, like is it? he is he is closer. We don't know what adventures Lightyear is going to go on. Maybe there's a Lightyear two and three where he like becomes more of that kind of character, right? But again, you're adding layers that are needed to make it make any sense whatsoever, <laughs> yes. right? I, I am, yeah. Based on the text, what we have, which is Lightyear the film. Well, well, well. Okay, let me say one other thing, Jeff. Which is a, the simplest explanation is that. Uh, the marketing wizards who are behind the company that made Lightyear the movie in the Toy Story universe uh, commodified it and commercialized it and made it more crowd-pleasing, right? They knew they had a dud on their hands when it came to action figures, (laughs) right? They knew that the Lightyear in this movie was, was basically like Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar, right? Which is to say, extremely brooding yeah, and weepy. Yeah, um, they're like, it's not going to sell any toys. <laughs> now with moribund s- grip. We <laughs> <laughs> now now with uh, okra accessories. <laughs> um, we gotta we gotta sex. You know, we gotta add some sexiness to this character. By, yeah, well, uh, sex not sexiness. We're talking about for five year olds. So it's more. Yes. Uh, it's more fun. We gotta add yes, fun. Gotta add some fun. Gotta add some fun. Gotta fun it up. Yeah, you know, a little bit. Otherwise, not gonna be palatable to the five year olds, right? So, to me, the, what we're witnessing, you know, maybe it's actually a very subversive commentary on how marketing can completely distort the true nature of a film that the the action figure is based off. Of. You ever yeah. think about that? Well, I think that's, I mean, Devendra made such a strong point bringing up something like Beetlejuice. Where yes, you go, oh, you buy you, you buy the 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 goofy Beetlejuice toy, and it has yeah. nothing to do with the actual like. It completely kind of, blows your whole point wide open. It it, it does, but <laughs> what a weird position for the movie to take! What a weird, <laughs> what a strange like. I I as the viewer have to do so much work to get mm-hmm. there to be like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I do recognize that these types of movies often have toys that are. Tonally disparate, you know. It's like because what you want is to leave this movie ideally and be like, "Oh yeah, that was that." We just the Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story. We sure saw that guy. Yeah, what what you want want is you to walk out with my actual five year old and have him go, "Oh my god, I would love to get a toy based on this movie." Did he say that? What did he say? No, there's no, no, (laughs) there's no. There's nothing in this movie that leads you to go, "Oh, wouldn't wouldn't it be fun to hang out with the." Like the whole, the entire premise of Toy Story is: wouldn't it be amazing if your toys came to life and you could hang out with them? Uh huh. Uh huh. There's nothing about Lightyear that goes: wouldn't it be awesome if I could hang out with the real Buzz Lightyear? If I had a tiny version of Buzz Lightyear in my house, nothing in that movie screams that pre- that that idea. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a cool. He's actually, he's actually kind movie. of a downer, you know, yes. in this one. 
it's a cool sci-fi movie, but it's like, wouldn't it be great if the character who lives, who outlives everyone he knows, <laughs> every he watches everyone he's ever cared for die because he's so committed to doing this one act that he can't seem to do. Wouldn't that be great to have a toy of that? It's <laughs> ridiculous. There, there, <laughs> there is this notion in movies of like, if there's too many leaps, emotional leaps or logical leaps, that it's hard for the viewer to, to keep up and, and be invested, right? Uh, the, the example I always return to is at the end of Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Uh, I, I've brought up this example like five times already, and excuse me, I'm going to bring it up again, but in Zack Snyder's Watchmen, the movie, right? They changed the ending, spoilers for that movie, from the not from the graphic novel spoilers mm-hmm. for graphic novel it was originally a gigantic alien squid that yes. was teleported in and they changed it to in the movie it was dr manhattan right and i li- remember listening to the writers of that movie being like you know we're already asking people to buy that there's a gigantic naked blue guy um and also all these people that dress up in this alternate history the gigantic squid felt like a bridge too far right? yeah right okay let me apply that logic to this movie uh, Buzz Lightyear travels through space to try to get these crystals to get everyone off the planet. He finds out inadvert- inadvertently, apparently, <laughs> the first time he does this, that when he travels to space, time slows down for him, but everyone else continues going. And so he comes back after seemingly one minute, but for everyone else, four years have elapsed, right? Yeah. Which is mind-blowing. Like, <laughs> mind-blowing idea. Yeah. L- like, if that happened to me, I would spend the next 10 years of my life trying to like adjust to that. Right? Yeah, right. I'd be like, okay, wow, what did I miss? And oh, all these friendships I had like that where I missed out on four years of their life and like how tragic that is. Wait, and, like, my friend had a kid? What? Right. And and oh, I, I missed four years of their life. But you know what? I'm never going to do that again. Yeah. Never going to do that. So I'm my mind is reeling from that. Con- I'm trying to under- comprehend it. And literally, before I can even think about that, he's off on another mission. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do he's like doing the fact it that again. He's, he's doing so, it again. He's so committed. <laughs> he's so committed to accomplishing this that he literally doesn't care about anything else. Yeah. Which is at, at a certain point, which, which is the theme of the movie, but also yes. like you know, no conversations were had. You know, in the lead up of that. Right, like it's so. Hey, maybe this is not worth. Maybe we should see you struggle about whether this trade off is worth it or not. You know. <laughs> well, th- at a certain point, it gets to literally just a montage of him doing it over and over again, and I'm like, yeah. he is a madman. That is, <laughs> that is, that, that is the behavior of an insane person. Yes. Literally, literally, a person who is like almost a sociopath who like That's... doesn't care about. You know, oh, and then one day he the, comes back and uh, the woman he, he hung out with is dead. What did you think was going to happen, <laughs> Lightyear? I will say I did cry during that part. <laughs> I did not cry in this movie. I did cry during that part. But but the, the problem is that right there, that whole sequence is enough for an entire movie. Right. But that is just the premise. No, I mean, that. yeah, that's the, that's the prelude to when that we actually get to the pro- plot. Prologue yeah. of this movie. Yeah. You know? Um, and yeah, it's dark stuff. It's dark stuff. Yeah. And, and, and I also think, I mean, again, we can point to star Wars and say little kids love star Wars. And it turned out that Darth Vader's underneath the mask was, was his dad. Right. That's, that's a pretty, 
dark and and heavy heavy is the yes. better word heavy yes. concept for a kid to absorb right i i, I understand we have that precedent uh-huh but zerg <laughs> as established as a toy is again it's like a cartoon bad guy mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. there's nothing <laughs> as established in four toy story movies there's mm-hmm. nothing complex or deep i mean again there's that throwaway joke about i am your father yes, but but it, but it was a it felt, felt like a joke it does you know? feel yeah. like a throwaway reference to to like oh he is a big scary dark mask and so of course we're making a joke about darth vader but to have it be actually another version of buzz lightyear it feels so crazy heavy. It feels so, it, it, it retroactively changes all of those toy interactions in the Toy Story movies to being so much weirder, right? Yeah. It's like, this yeah. is also Buzz Lightyear. And to think that a six-year-old would, would think, this is my favorite movie and I'm going to buy all the toys from it. <laughs> I, it, it. Totally, it just makes no sense to me at, at all. Mm-hmm. At all. Mm-hmm. And it's so... The, the biggest problem is I had is that it is such a retcon because mm-hmm. obviously that was not the reference they were making in the Toy Story movies. Obviously, they were making the Saturday morning cartoon, big, goofy, bombastic, good, yeah. good is good, bad is bad, no, no ambiguity, no moral quandary type references, right? And then all of a sudden to like retcon that with this movie and say, no, no, in fact, it was based on this is so weird. It, what does it accomplish? Weird. Well, it's a way for them to make more money, first of all. Yeah, right? I guess. But in many ways, this is like the solo A Star Wars story of yeah. the Layer universe, which is to say an unnecessary quasi-origin story of a side character that retroactively makes a lot of the things that we know about that character worse. 100%. I still like it more than Solo, though. Well, I would agree, only because Solo felt like Lord and Miller were originally supposed to make Solo, and yeah. uh, and they were fired, like I think, with a significant percentage of the movie already completed, and then the final movie is a reflection of both of their stuff, and I think the final movie really feels like that, right? This to me feels like overall a cohesive vision. Yes. You know, whatever you can say about the movie and and how it retcons everything and makes things worse. It does feel like they made the movie they set out to make. Maybe the, to the extent that there's any interference, it's like, this is not a story that should have been told with this character. Yeah. I Um, I think if this had just come out as its own movie without any IP attached to it, it it would have been, you know, pretty fun and, and cool. But I mean, literally every, all the, 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 that four group of side characters of the other space rangers, they are also in that weird kind of, there's nothing fun about them. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of fun, but, but mostly they're kind of sad. And I mean, it's, it's such a heavy yeah. movie on yeah. so many levels. Yeah. Which is fine, but it's just, it's not what I think you and I expected walking into the theater, right? Like. I was expecting, oh, this is going to be a fun space adventure. You know, like that's what I was expecting. And this was not that. Not that. Not that. Weird. It's the first time. It's the, I don't know. At the same time, like, I think you're right. I think you're right. If it wasn't a Buzz Lightyear story, it would have, I would have received it better. Right. I, I want movies to try interesting things, you know, but in this case, it, 
the problem with this movie trying an interesting thing is it does not live up to the premise that it establishes for itself. That's, That's 100% correct. That's yes. the problem, right? We're not against movies trying interesting things, but yeah. No, but I mean, in this case, honestly, the baggage and the history, it, it makes it weird. My experience of watching this movie was that first title card comes up. And it was the first time I'd heard a coherent explanation as to what this movie really was. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's awesome. This is the movie that the toy is based. I get it. But then it proceeds to completely subvert that expectation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that to me is like the great sin is that you didn't, that's a, that's a unforced error. Yeah. Well, Jeff, you and I have strong opinions about the Lightyear film, apparently. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad Devinder wasn't here to hear all this anger. I know. It's <laughs> again, perfectly fine movie. And my all of that goes right over the head of my five year old who doesn't care about any of it. And he had a perfectly fine time. But it is not a movie he came out of and went, Oh my God, I want the toys for that. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. it's weird. All right, folks. Well, uh, at the end of the day, it's pretty impressive that Angus McLean and all the people behind this film made a movie despite our concerns and reservations with it. <laughs> you can find more episodes of this show at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Uh, our music, opening theme song, closing theme song, comes from Tim McEwen over at The Midnight. Check out his new project, Varsity Blue. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Next week, we're going to be discussing The Black Phone. The Black Phone. Newest film by uh, Scott Derrickson, written by uh, a former collaborator of mine, C. Robert Cargill. Really excited to check out this horror film and talk about it here on the Filmcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you later.